Welcome to the Off Trail Podcast. I'm Constantine. And I'm Magpie. And this is a show about light outdoors. Come take a step with us into what it takes to be a hiker, backpacker, rock climber, cyclist, or any other type of outdoor adventure. Let's get to stepping. Welcome back to the Off Trail Podcast. My name is Constantine, and today we have the one and only Christine Thurmer on the show with us. So, Christine, thank you for joining us, and I hope I pronounced that last name correctly. Well, thanks for the invitation, and you mispronounced it. Oh, yeah. It's Christine Thurmer. T-H in German is uh, not like, uh, it's pronounced differently. Oh, so, Christine Thurmer. so it's more of a hard T. The H is not pronounced as softly, exactly, I guess. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Well, Christine, um, you might not be familiar with the show, but I mispronounce stuff all the time. So that's why I wanted to check with you. <laughs> Excellent. We get the right introduction. And I think uh, you, you have a good excuse because I think I'm the first foreigner on your show. show. Is that correct? Yes, I think we were chatting about that a little bit before hopping into it. So your memory is way better than mine or recollection because... I can't recall if we've had a foreigner excluding Canada um, on the show recently, but you may be the first. Yes, you may be the first foreigner overseas or over the pond. Well, I guess Germany's not over the pond. How, how do you all refer to it? Overseas? Overseas. So now your podcast eventually becomes right, really international. <laughs> let's not go too far. Let's, let's not p- pump it up too far. It's, it's a very niche <laughs> podcast, but I, I appreciate that. That's uh, Yeah, I'm really excited um, because... When I was learning a little bit about you, I've seen probably only half the stuff you've done. Um, There's probably more and more stuff within the records that I could be looking into. But you have done quite a lot, Christine. So the beginning of the show, I want to open it up to you so the viewers and the people can get familiar with you. So the big question that we ask in the beginning, big, broad, open-ended, is Christine, who are you? Okay, I'm a 55-year-old woman from Germany. Okay. My uh, trail name, therefore, is German Tourist, which was easy to, uh, to, to guess then. And uh, I came to hiking or to through hiking very late in life. Um, before I made, I was, as I was born and raised in Germany, went to school there. I was, I'm the most unathletic person you can think of. Uh, hmm. Physical education was the worst subject I had at school. So uh, I'm, I really wasn't into outdoors or anything. So after school, after university, I made a career in, uh, as a turnaround manager. So I'm quite, I used to be quite a successful businesswoman, like the typical stuff, like nice company car, own secretary, good salary, everything like, like the stereotype. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was uh, around uh, 37, everything changed. Um, all of a sudden, like, uh, well, it all changed by pure coincidence. I went to the U.S. for a typical yappy holiday. Hmm. I went to California, visited Los Angeles, San Francisco, and this included like a visit to Yosemite National Park. Hmm. And so I spent a, a couple of days there for some short hikes. And I remember very well I was sitting in this uh, uh, pay campground in my way too big expedition tent, uh, like a typical uh, hiker stereotype uh, right out of REI. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, like when it uh, was about to get dark, um, some really weird people showed up who looked completely different than anyone else on on this pay campground. I've met the first through hikers, the PCT through hikers. Of course, I had no clue what the PCT was uh, back then. Um, So I was very curious. 
I uh, walked over and asked like really innocently, what the heck are you doing here? Why do you look so different? What are you, why are you here? And I didn't know, I couldn't realize that this one question would change my entire life. Because uh, these through hikers said, wow, uh, we are hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. We are hiking the PCT. Are you on the GMT or the PCT? And I said, what is that? PCT, GMT, no clue. And so this is the first time I heard about through hiking. Hmm. And uh, I spent the rest of the evening, they were like, wow, they told me about like ultralight hiking, about the trail community. And I was immediately fascinated. Hmm. So I remember very well, I went to bed, I went to my, uh, and I was tossing, tossing and turning on my sleeping pad and coming up with 100 more questions I wanted to ask the through hikers next morning. But uh, I was like a normal uh, hiker on holiday mode. So when I got up at nine o'clock, guess what? All the through hikers were gone. Yeah. So um, I went back to Germany and I was totally infected with the through hiking bug. But of course, like I had this uh, management job, I was like, uh, and I mean, no real sane person gives up a a management job just for the idiotic idea of hiking from Mexico to Canada. <laughs> so so uh, not even me. So I was like, oh, this is fine, but I should really make a career, earn money, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then um, apparently like Destiny God or whoever decided, okay, we have to show this woman that she really has to go hiking. So I got, uh, I got kicked in the ass twice. Huh. So the, the first kick in the ass happened half a year after this uh, encounter because I was all of a sudden fired. Oh. So, uh, which is quite normal because if you are like a turnaround manager, if your job is done, you have to go. So, but still I was, I was pretty young in the job. I was like, oh my God, I'm unemployed. Uh, what should I do now? I was, I really was, uh, I was shaken. Mm-hmm. I was really shaken. So, and I was still being at home, licking my wounds, thinking of what to do when the next kick in the ass happened, which was actually way more dramatic because um, back then, a good friend of mine, also like this typical yuppie, he was an architect, I was a turnaround manager, he, he had a stroke. Oh. So he was exactly 10 years older than me. I was 36 back then, he was 46. And he had a stroke because he was so young, he was reanimated in hospital for like 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So he survived the stroke, but with permanent brain damage. So afterwards, he couldn't talk anymore. He couldn't walk anymore. He couldn't even hardly swallow. Mm. So me being unemployed, I had all the time in the world. So I visited him uh, every other day in the nursing home. And after a while, like it it was really, it was a shame because like uh, before we went to like these posh restaurants in Berlin where we both lived. And now he was in his nursing home sitting in a wheelchair and I had to feed him. Mm. So... It was really like, I said, oh my God. And, and after a while, there was this one, que- I couldn't escape this one question any longer. And the one question was like, what would he have done uh, if he had known my age, what was waiting for him? Would he have continued making a career or would he have continued accumulating money or would he have done something crazy? Mm-hmm. And of course he couldn't answer this question. He couldn't speak anymore. And unfortunately he died very soon after. I'm sorry. But, uh, but uh, for me, this was like, this was really a turning point because I realized, hey, uh, the most important resource in my life, that's not money. The most important resource, hey, that's time. 
because other than other than money you cannot multiply time you cannot plan it you don't know how much time you have got le- you have left mm-hmm. i always thought hey you don't die with 46 but my friend died age 46 so i realized if you want to do something you have to do it now because nobody and can guarantee you that you will be able to do it in five years in 10 years or when you retire mm-hmm. so so uh, this is how i started through hiking i booked the flight to the u.s and uh, half a year after this i started this uh, pct through hike wow so uh, how before we get into your kind of trajectory along the hiking world how does that singular conversation you had with pct hikers stick with you so long so you were talking about that losing the job and losing the friend were like the kicks that you needed to make an action on that, but a singular conversation, we have people as being a person, you have conversations, thousands of conversations a day. So like, how does a singular conversation in a campground stick with you and like plant a seed so deeply? Well, I think these people, these through hikers were exuding so much happiness and so much freedom. I was totally intrigued. Like, uh, I was I was a happy person before. I mean, I was very successful in my job, and I really liked my job. It's not that I was like, oh, I want to get out of this rat race. No, that, that was not the case. I really liked the job. I didn't have uh, all the companies I was working for survived. I really rescued them. Or I really restructured them. So it's not like, okay, I'm the, I'm the, I, won't, I haven't, be, I've never been the guy who sort of like buried companies. No, none of the companies went bankrupt. So, um it was a very, I had a very good job life, but I was, I was thinking, hey, um, yeah, the, I was lacking freedom. Okay. So, and maybe what, uh, I'll give you another anecdote to illustrate what was so interesting, with this, so fascinating about the through-hike a lot. Something happened to be on my first through-hike. Okay. So my, so my first through-hike uh, uh, took place in 2004. And the first big project, I mean, I was totally unathletic. I had no clue about hiking, not to mention long distance hiking. So but anyway, so I decided, okay, if I go hiking, if I take a sabbatical, if I, if I don't look for a job, uh, I want to do a big project, something you can't do like in your six weeks holidays. Germans have six weeks of holidays every year. So in case you want to immigrate to Germany. So anyway, so, so I did this uh, first hike and on the PCT, of course, you remember the section through the Sierras? Yes. Um, when you have this one stretch uh, with 10 days without resupply. Mm-hmm. So uh, or for you, you're probably much faster than me, but for me, it was 10 days without resupply. And on day nine uh, of this long stretch, I was down to one dinner, one breakfast, and 27 M&Ms. <laughs> you knew the exact amount of M&Ms. I love that. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, was, I was like, okay, there's so and so many red and so many green and so many blue M&Ms. So I was dividing and thinking, okay, when do I eat the green ones? When do I eat the blue ones? So everything, all your idea, all your, all your thoughts evolve around like, eat food eating <laughs> yeah. so in this so in this situation i've met like two section hikers or two weekend warriors you know weekend hikers and of course you know as a through hiker you're god for them so so they uh they started talking to me with a nice conversation and after half an hour they said goodbye we, we we shook hands they went their way i went my way and so I, suddenly the woman of this couple she turned around and said hey we are going back to our car in a, in, a, in a parking lot today and we have some food left over. Would you like a chocolate bar? Oh. 
And I'm like, holy cow, this is like Christmas and Easter in one day. And of course I said, of course I want a chocolate bar. So she has, it gives me the Snickers. I think it was the Snickers. She gives me the Snickers, said, she says goodbye. And I immediately I open the package and I take a big bite. And all of a sudden this happiness flash is like, wow, this is better than any drug. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. And then I had these two realizations. First realization. If this woman, if this couple, if she had given me like $100 or $200, I would not have been as happy as with this small chocolate bar for 50 cents. Yeah. So money doesn't make you happy, especially not when you're out in the wilderness. So, so I was like, oh, wow, this is what really matters. It's not money. This is what really matters. Okay. And the second... And, and the second realization was like um, that this kind of happiness, this was so physical and so direct. Of course, you know, I've, I've been a happy person before, even while I was working. You know? But like uh, all, these, all the, these happy feelings you have before you have in a normal work life are sort of indirect and not very physical. So to give you an example, like, okay, your boss says, hey, hey we, 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 rise, we, rise your, we raise your salary. And of course you're happy, you get more money, but you have to wait an entire month before you get more money. And then you can uh, buy something with your credit card that makes that maybe makes you happy. Mm-hmm. But all this is not, it's not dying, it's not physical. Whereas on the train, you open the chocolate bar and take a big bite and wow, instant satisfaction. But what, what was so consuming about that happiness? Because for people that are listening, as a hiker, you have those moments that, like you said, extreme amounts of joy, um, unparalleled pretty much. A chocolate bar just brings about, shifts your world view. Like, like it's not an exaggeration. Like at that moment, you could be down, whatever it may be, and it could shift something. So what about that type of happiness is so extreme for you? Because to get to that point sometimes, and you may have a different feeling around this, but to get to that point, you have to go through 90% of, I don't want to use the word pain, but you have to go through 90% of sometimes monotony. You have to go through discomfort along the trail. You have to go through all these factors that build up the quote unquote majority of a hike. Um, Happiness is part there and it's probably always running underneath the subconscious but it's not always at the forefront. So what about that happiness kept you coming back? Well, I think generally um, through hiking lowers your threshold s- threshold of happiness. Okay. Like uh, bef- because all of a sudden things that appear normal, like uh, for example, when I get up in the morning now, I'm, I'm in Germany right now, so I sleep on the mattress, I take a shower every morning. This is not something I would mention to anyone. But out when you are through hiking, you know, like you can, <laughs> you can dream of this one shower in town, like for an entire week. Yes. So all of, so all of a sudden, these small things become so important. These small things that are so normal in, in a normal life. And this is this is great because all of a sudden everything becomes so great. Like even this chocolate bar. So this was so fascinating because when you're when you're working and you're when you're a career woman like me, like all of a sudden your salary goes up and your expectations go up. So it's more it's more and more difficult to make you happy because you already earn a, a shitload of money. Mm-hmm. And you and then you want to earn even more and you want a new a bigger car or so so every, everything went back down to normal or even way below normal. And it, it's great. Now you just give me a chocolate bar for 50 cents. I'm a, I'm, I'm a happy person. I mean, what else can I ask for? So it, it makes you happy on trail. And this might be a tangent, but I'm just curious because we're going to unpack what you've done here in a second. But you've spent so much time on these adventures and on these trails. 
when you get off, you said now you appreciate that shower and appreciate that bed. And just even for me personally, like I feel the same way, but there's a time cap on that. So like, say I've been out in the back country for three months, four months, five months, I get back and I appreciate all these small things for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden my brain just makes that the new normal and I get used to it and I have to recheck myself to reappreciate these small things. So for you, does that lower threshold of happiness as you defined it transition off trail for you? Of course. Of course. Like uh, now I'm living in a tiny, tiny, tiny apartment uh, in one of these like ex-communist high-rise buildings in former East, East Berlin. We're really, really tiny. Uh, it's probably like uh, the whole apartment is like uh, a normal American uh, living room, mm-hmm. the whole apartment. And, but I'm still very happy because it's bigger than my tent. <laughs> and uh, I'm so happy because I have three supermarkets all around me so I can eat fresh fruit, fresh vegetables every day. Um, and I think uh, um, um, the solution is because I go hiking all the time. Yes. So my, my whole life is basically every year, six to eight months, I'm hiking somewhere in the world. And the, uh, the rest of the year, four to six months, I'm in Germany uh, writing books, uh, doing presentations, doing shows, or preparing my next trip. So it's like, I'm never ever getting into one mode or the other. It's like, uh, when I finish a hike, I know, oh, I'm on holiday now, I can enjoy civilization. But I'm never like, oh, I hate civilization, because I know all the time, uh, this is just a phase. In half a year, I'll be in the next phase again. So for me, this is the perfect balance. Half a year, yep. I'm sorry, kudos on the mindset, because that's, again, something personally I still struggle with, is like, knowing that no matter how long that time is off trail, two months, three months, four months, that it's a finite amount of time. So you're always having that appreciation. Yes, of course. So it's like I always know, okay, this is just a temporary holiday or a temporary hike. And then it's the next phase. So it's for me, it's, it's, it's a perfect balance. I don't want to hike like uh, an entire year or two years straight. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be like in Germany having a sedentary life for one or two years straight either. So it's it's a perfect balance. So I'm curious, again, for people listening, I'm sorry, we're going to unpack what she's done. It's just so massive what she's done that I want to build up to it. So I'm just curious, side tangent here is, have you ever tried hiking year round? And what were the feelings around that? Because you've been hiking now for what, close to 20 years, have you ever sought that? And if so, what was the experience with trying to hike you around? Okay, I, um, I've i hiked, like sometimes I hike in winter, sometimes I hike in summer. Um, the longest I've been on the road, and I, I really say on the road because I, I'm not only hiking, I'm also cycling and paddling. Okay. So the longest I've been away from Germany was one and a half years straight. Wow. And I enjoyed it. It was a combined uh, hiking, cycling, uh, paddling trip. I, I really enjoyed it. But after a while, you lose contact with your with the friends back home. Yes. So that is uh, that is a, that's a big problem, especially when you're hiking overseas. Like in the in in Europe, in the EU, we have something that's called EU roaming. So while I'm hiking in all of the EU countries, I, I can still call my friends. Like I'm in Romania, I can call my friends in Germany or vice versa. So it doesn't really matter in which in which country I, I am in Europe. I can still call and call and talk to my friends as if I was in the same country. So the connection is really good, and it's the same time zone or almost the same time zone. 
But when I'm hiking overseas, let's say I'm in the US and my friends are in in, uh, in Germany, it gets more difficult because like you have different time zones. It's uh, it's sort of expensive uh, to uh, to pay for a new SIM card or for data to to stay in contact. So this complicates things a lot. Mm-hmm. So but um, yeah, go ahead. So it's the connection and disconnection of family and friends back home. Because I asked this question because, again, I'm curious because the longest I've traveled or been on the road, as you put it, what hiking, getting to and from the trail systems, what have you, is like eight months. And I realized like my cap is somewhere in that six to seventh month range because after that it starts to – I still am enjoying myself, but it's not that waking up with just pure excitement every day. So that's why I was asking the question. I was wondering, like, in that one and a half years, if some of the love for, I guess, the travel aspect of it, the hiking aspect of it, didn't necessarily get lost, but got blunted just from being on the same type of trajectory for so long. Yes. um, And there's another aspect. um, And this is like the intellectual challenge. Okay, to, again, to put it into like an, an anecdote, like when I was still working as a turnaround manager, I really had to make big decisions. Like I had to lay off like a certain percentage of the of the people working for the company. I was The company was struggling for money. I was always struggling. Like, is the company going bankrupt? Where do I get money from? So it was really like a very, very tough life with really, really important business decisions. Mm-hmm. And I was a CEO. I was usually working as a CEO. So it was my decision all alone. It was all the burden on me. So all of a sudden, now that I'm a professional through hiker, the only decision I have to do during a day is like, do I first eat a Snickers or a Mars bar? <laughs> okay. So, so again, I, I say this to, 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 to show what I, what I mean. Of course, this is like an exaggeration, but like, first it was like, wow, this burden is gone. I don't have to decide like who is going to be laid off and who is going to stay on. So I felt like, wow, this burden is gone. But on the but after a while, after a couple of years, it got a bit like, wow, where's the challenge? Mm-hmm. Like in the beginning, through hiking was new. I had to learn about gear, about navigation, new culture in the US. And then I hiked also like in other countries. So, But after a while, you get used to it. You know how it works. Then I started cycling, the same like learning process. Then I started paddling, again, the same learning process. But by now... I can like uh, go on a hike like with minimum preparation because I've done it so often. So I was lacking intellectual challenge. Okay. And this is, and this is when I started to do. So I said, okay, uh, I need a challenge. So the first challenge was I started to write books. Mm. And uh, so and I said, okay, if I do write books, I really wanted to become a bestseller. So I wrote the first book, became a bestseller. It was, my first book was nine months on the German bestselling list. Then I wrote a second, second book. It also ended up on the German bestselling list. The third book, also on the German bestselling list. So then I decided, okay, I need something new. So uh, then I decided to do shows, to do presentations. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's always like, for me, I'm, I'm curiosity-driven. Mm-hmm. I'm a very curious person, and I always want to do something new. So while I still enjoy through hiking i'm lacking the intellectual challenge so now i'm i'm uh i'm going from one one life to the other end as i said i found the perfect balance i haven't heard it put that way before and that's a really really well intellectual way to put it is when you lack the intellectual challenge there's a little something that's i don't want to use the word lost but having that challenge creates fuel so i've never heard it put that way um I'm going to have to chew on that thought for a while. But uh, Christine, let's unpack a little bit because 
I want to put into context your journey in the thru-hiking world, the adventure world, what have you, and the way you put it, a professional thru-hiker. So from that first PCT hike in 2004, and I know this is going to be a big ask, but can you walk through the trajectory into hiking, backpacking, adventuring? Like, what happened after that first hike, 2004 forward to now? What, what? Yeah, I know this is a big ask. What, what has gone on? Okay, I hope you have a lot of time. We have some time. Um, we have some time. Okay. Uh, well, after only two weeks on the PCT back in 2004, I knew this is it. This is it. I have found what I want to do. It's not the question, do I really want to do the Triple Crown? It was just the question, when do I do the Triple Crown? When do I complete it? After two weeks on the PCT, mm-hmm. I knew I was hooked. Wow. So, so I finished the PCT. I went back to Germany. I worked for two and a half more years. And then I started to become sort of a full-time hiker. I went back. I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, followed by the Appalachian Trail, so I became sort of like the around 100th person to be to complete the Triple Crown. Nice. So uh, and by then you have to remember, like back in the uh, this time, the euro was very strong. Mm-hmm. So for me, hiking in the U.S. or hiking overseas was actually very, very much, much cheaper than living in Germany. Mm-hmm. So I decided, okay, I'm here in the U.S. anyway, so I might as well hike the Arizona Trail and the Florida Trail. I'm here anyway, and while I'm there, I might as well let's say cycle a little bit and while i'm also here i might as well paddle the mississippi and paddle the yukon so (laughs) i did that because i was just there so um after i did that i said okay maybe because it's so cheap i could also go to other countries so uh, what do i do in winter i thought so because i had spare time in winter i went to australia new zealand i basically hiked every single long distance trail in in Australia and a lot of trails in New Zealand. And um, this is also where I encountered the British around the world cyclists and we cycled together for nine months. We cycled through Australia, we cycled through New Zealand. And then I sort of convinced him like he wanted to go to the US and I said, well, you have to fly from New Zealand to the US. So what's on the way, on the way is Japan. So we might as well go to Japan and cycle there. Hmm. So I ended up cycling there. It was just a little detour for him. And because flights from Japan were so so expensive, we decided, okay, we can also go to South Korea. So we cycled there. And well, before I could, uh, before I realized I was gone from Germany for one and a half years. Wow. So, uh, so I went back. And this is the time uh, when the first uh, uh, um, crisis, the finance crisis occurred, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, like the the um, uh, the euro went uh, went downhill. So hiking in overseas became pretty pretty expensive for me, and I still have this business instinct. Like I mean, I've been I've been a businesswoman for so many years, so I decided, okay, I have to go hiking where I get get the most out of my euro. So, and in in these years, this was basically hiking in Europe. So I was looking at the map and I said, hey, I've I've hiked from Mexico to Canada three times, so I might as well through hike Europe. 
So uh, the first trip I did was actually I've hiked Europe from east to west and then followed by Europe from north to south. So I hiked from uh, east to west, which basically from Santiago de Compostela in Spain to the Black Sea coast in Bulgaria. This is something like uh, 6,000 miles. And then I hiked from uh, Tarifa in Spain, which is the southernmost point in Europe to the North Cape, which was also something like 6,000 miles. So I became I became the first person ever to through hike Europe east, west and north, south. Um, and then Corona struck and um, like one, every, you never knew which country was closed. So I was basically hopping from one country to another. And by the way, did another through hike from Europe from uh, this is from Sicily in Italy to uh, Estonia, another like I think. 5,000 miles, something like that. So I through hiked Europe uh, three times. Wow. Plus, um, plus I hiked the Greater Patagonian Trail in Chile, and I did several other like short, I mean, I don't do any hike less than a thousand kilometers, less than 600 miles. Anything less is just like a holiday trip. So altogether now I have hiked uh, 60,000 kilometers, which is a little bit less than 40,000 miles. Wow. Um, congratulations. Like, I don't even know how to begin to unpack this, but <laughs> congratulations, kudos on the beginning. I want to dive deeper into some of those journeys you went on, but a question that I have is you didn't just dip your toe in the water. You kind of threw yourself all the way in. What is fueling this? Like, what is fueling you to spend that one and a half years traveling? What's fueling you to continue going after the miles, the kilometers, the trails, the adventures? Like, for some people, it's the athleticism, and you said you defined earlier oh, no. you're not 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 athletic, or you define yourself as not athletic. But I'm hard pressed to believe that since you've done so much. But for some, it's the challenge. It's kind of the mentality. For some, it's circumstantial. What is the fuel for you that makes you keep going? That is it becoming a professional through hiker is it becoming a professional traveler so yeah I'm, I'm curious what is your fuel for this type of lifestyle okay let's just uh shortly discuss this athletic thing i always <laughs> say like uh look at me i'm uh i'm cross-legged flat feet and 10 pounds overweight but still hmm. i've hiked 60,000 kilometers so uh so it's not athleticism i'm very very slow i'm always the slowest to hike so so the, the athletic aspect is not interesting. Okay. So especially when you hike such a long time, I mean, I've been hiking for 15 years straight now, almost 15 years. So it's like, uh, you can't, you can't like power yourself out all the time. So I'm just like my normal 20 miles every day. And, and I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy with that. Hmm. So uh, the main motivation again is curiosity. I'm just a, such a curious person. So the more I hike, and I'm not only hiking, uh, you, you cut me short there, I'm not, I've not only hiked 60,000 kilometers, I've also uh, cycled 35,000 kilometers and paddled 8,000 kilometers. So, so because I, I very early uh, uh, thought like back to my like business roots, and in business, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. 
So I thought, okay, I'm, 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 I'm hiking now, but what do I do if I sprain my ankle or if something happens or I have, get, I'm getting, I'm, I have knee problems or whatever? So I wanted to have something that I can, some outer pursuit uh, that I can do even if I have foot problems or whatever. So I, very early on, I started long-distance cycling and also long-distance paddling. So I'm also sort of like alternating. But, but really, through hiking is my first love and it's my, my, my biggest love. Welcome to our pocket snack ad break. Now is the time during the show, during your hike, during your adventure, to reach into that hip belt pocket, to reach into that gear pouch and treat yourself. Get yourself a nice little snack as we go through a bit of our quote unquote ad. Can it be an ad if we're mostly talking about our own company? Don't know. That's uh, that's for better minds than ourselves. So welcome to the pocket snack ad break. Um, sit down, walk, do what you will, but make sure to grab that snack as you listen in. So we wanted to talk about Eleven Skies. Eleven Skies is the company that we formed two years ago and we are hyper-focused in creating shorts and pants for the outdoors person, the hiker, the backpacker, the rafter, the bicyclist, anything and everything. Built a product that will last for any adventure ahead and it's also born, the very name is born from the Eleven National Scenic Trails so you can be proud to be representing promoting and bringing about awareness to the 11 National Scenic Trails and the very trails that gave us our name and continue to inspire us. So make sure to follow along with us at 11 Skies on Instagram, Facebook, and make sure to go check out our website, 11skies.com, spelled 11skys.com, where you can learn all about us and you can get yourself some gear today. So that's the quick pocket snack ad break. Hope you enjoyed your snack. If you're still chewing, keep on keeping on. Let's get back into the show. So you say it's curiosity, but, but there's quicker ways to move through an environment. There's quicker ways to see the world, see the landscape. Like walking, as you know, <laughs> takes a lot of time. So if it's curiosity that's the spark, what makes it be the conduit for through hiking or paddling or biking? Because you could hop in a car and go explore the countryside and see more i don't know if i want to use the term more you could see it in a different way so what brings you to the human powered mode of this okay first of all it's the most uncomplicated i mean after uh after paddling and cycling i realized hey you might be faster on a bicycle but or you might it might be easier on a boat but it's the most uncomplicated because like what what happens if there's no more water if to have to take your boat out and if you ever have carried around like a, a 23 kilogram boat, which I've done when I paddled the Mississippi or the Yukon, it's a nightmare. So, uh, or like what happens when your bicycle breaks down and you can't repair it because you're in the middle of nowhere. So this is what I like about hiking. It's so uncomplicated. You can get almost over every obstacle. You're slow, but it's, it's damn easy. You just have your backpack and that's all. Okay. So, but to go to to uh, look at a more philosophical thing is first of all, through hiking gets me into the flow. It's a psychological term. Like artists get into a flow. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the flow is like the psychological state of mind where you can go on forever and ever. And this is like you can't get into this state of mind when you drive when you, when you're just like a car camper or when you're like a normal backpacker like this traveling by bus or traveling by train so i like this flow state 
And the other thing that's even more important is like the freedom of thought, the freedom of thinking. Again, I have to explain this. Uh, see, when I was 16 or 17 years old, you, you are going through all these philosophical questions like, is there God? What, is, what sense is there in life? You are interested like, in politics and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, like, you finish college, you finish university, you start working. And all of a sudden, your boss decides what you use your intellectual capacities for. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not the master of your, of your own mind anymore because like there's some boss saying hey there's a there's a uh, uh you have to hand in this this paper this in this time so uh yeah so, so it's always a deadline so mm-hmm. and this happens during the day but at night you come home and all of a sudden like you have a family you have friends and you have to do this and that and all of a sudden you're not contemplating the uh the question of is there a god you're contemplating like uh your mortgage is the mortgage on your house or like, uh, what do you do? Who, who brings, who drives the kids to school tomorrow? Mm-hmm. So, so you just have to think about all these profane things, but not about like philosophic questions anymore. On a through hike, I have all the time in the world to think, uh, about things I really want to think about. And this is, this is great. I'm listening to, to podcasts. I'm listening to audiobooks. And I'm, I'm thinking, I talk to friends and I have so much energy and so much like, I'm so interested in people. So I really, really do enjoy this freedom. So it's the freedom aspect of it. Okay, I'm sorry I was focusing so much on that question, but I was just trying to boil down because for somebody to pursue a life of this, I don't want to use the word intensity, but of this schedule of being on trail six to eight months of a year, coming back home, working on books, working on uh, speaking engagements, like, there has to be a deep fuel to keep keep you moving, keep you going out there. So I was just trying to boil it down, and you answered it perfectly. So I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on a f- few of your hikes, at least, or a few of your travels. <laughs> we do not have nearly long enough to touch on all of them, but I really want to, like we were talking about, dive into a little bit of the European travel. So some of these routes that you said that were 6,000, was it miles or kilometers? Uh, miles. <laughs> miles. Wow. Okay. Even, even bigger. So the north to south and the east to west, uh, 6,000 mile routes. I'm assuming there's not a governing body or a trail organization that manages something like that. So am I reading it correctly that you put together these routes and then decided to just follow your own line? So what, what was the like planning process for these massive routes across Europe? Okay. Um, theoretically, there are long-distance trails across Europe. Actually, there is 11, the European long-distance pass E1 to E11. Okay. But this is basically in theory, and uh, there is a European long-distance hiking association, but they are very, it's not a very powerful organization. They're, they're, it's all volunteers, and the trails are basically mm. just on paper or on the internet, but not on the ground. So what these people did, they, uh, they linked together existing trails and created like hikes through Europe. But um, I, sometimes I follow them, but basically I'm just piecing together uh, existing trails. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a great website most Americans or North Americans are not aware of. It's called waymarkedtrails.org, waymarkedtrails.org. Okay. And this is on the base uh, of uh, OpenStreetMap, which is like the, you know, the, uh, this project where uh, all the maps are for free and people mark the trails on them. So uh, basically, if you go to, there is some trails also in the US that are marked there, but the US is pretty, pretty blank. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go to Europe, if you zoom in on Germany, it's like, you, you'll be impressed. It's like Germany, which is 
basically the size of Montana, basically has the same kilometers of long distance trails as the entire U.S. Wow. So keep that in mind. It has all, all this has to do with the different law we have in Europe. In, um, in Europe, because we're so densely populated, uh, the rule is more or less like if there's a trail, you're allowed to hike on it. You might not be allowed to go into the forest, but if there's a trail through the forest, because like for logging or for, for the ranges or whatever, if there's a trail, you can use it. So this creates like almost infinite possibilities of hiking. Mm-hmm. So the idea is like, if I, if I plan a through hike through Europe, what I do is I go to Waymark trails and, and I have an idea. I say, okay, I want to hike from the southernmost point to the northernmost point. So Tarifa to the North Cape. And I look, is there enough trails? And there's always enough trails in, in between. And I just link the trails together. And if there's no existing trail, I just go like, okay, there's some, there's always some trail or road or God knows what. So I can always link it together because private property in the way is not, is not an obstacle because there's always a trade going around the private property or you have the right of way. So this makes it very, very easy to through hike Europe. So how was, excuse me, <clears throat> so how was the transition though? Because it sounded like your introduction or your growth into through hiking was, began on the Pacific Crest Trail. And then through all these trails in the US that at least maybe not back in 2004, but had some type of infrastructure around them, some type of resources, some type of planning, some type of organization. And then all of a sudden you go over to Europe and you're like, okay, I'm creating not your own route, but you're using all these maps and trails to potentially, I guess, create your own route or follow one of these e-trails. So how does it become when you're on the ground having to just, I cannot work on the fly, but how does it become on the ground when you're just going and having to be flexible? Is that something that you thought going into it, something you found you enjoyed. Walk me through like the grounding, ground truthing of these trails in Europe. Okay, first of all, uh, it's it's sort of there's a flip side and the flop side. Mm-hmm. So the flip side in Europe is uh, let's, start, let's start with the flop side. The flop side is there's no trail community. Okay. So there's no trail angels. Um, there's uh, no guidebooks for these long trails. You really have to do a lot more planning than, than you have to do in the U.S. On the flip side, you don't need trail angels because in Europe, there's basically a supermarket around every corner. Mm-hmm. So in Europe, when I hike in Europe, I hardly carry food for more than two or three days because you're so close to civilization all the time. So you don't really need trail angels. Uh, you don't really need anyone to uh, give you a ride to a trailhead because, hey, in Europe we have public transport. Mm. So, so basically, I can get I can get anywhere by bus or by train, and in the worst case, I just take a taxi or an Uber. So, so it's it's a lot easier. So you don't need a trail community. So the biggest difference between hiking in the US and hiking in Europe is that hiking in the US is hiking in wilderness. Mm-hmm. So. U.S. trails avoid civilization because you're, you, the, the idea is like you live in these crowded cities and you want to get away from it all, so you want to hike in the wilderness, which makes like, for example, I just recently through hiked the Superior Hiking Trail, and I was like, wow, well, why are they doing these bizarre loops to, just to get away <laughs> from, uh, from a forest road? I mean, I would just hike on the forest road. For me, it doesn't matter. But no, the superior hiking trail says, oh, we want to avoid even forest roads. So we have to create a new trail. So this is something that doesn't exist in Europe. We are not, they don't try to 
escape civilization, mostly because it's not possible. Mm -hmm. We always see signs of civilization. But this makes hiking in Europe not only easier, but culturally very interesting. Because you hike from one castle to the next, from one monastery, church, uh, little chapel, God knows what, from to the other. So there's always something that's interesting. Hmm. So uh, so I can't say I enjoy hiking in the U.S. more than in Europe or the other way. It's just very, very different. Okay. So if you, have, if you have the idea, oh, I want to get away from it all, I want to hike in wilderness, don't come to Europe. But if you say, hey, I want to find out about the country, about the culture, about its history, then hiking in Europe is great. So it's different levels of engagement. Um, I was literally about to ask the question that you just answered is if there was a preference for you at this point, but it sounds like it's just what you're going after. It sounds like if you're planning a trip and you're craving the solitude of wilderness, you might choose something in America. And if you're craving the engagement of a culture, you might choose something in Europe. Yeah. And um, like another uh, another idea, I mean, I've hiked so much now. I mean, almost 40,000 miles. So after a while, I mean, I've hiked the Rocky Mountains. I've hiked the Sierra Nevada. I've hiked the Alps. I've hiked the Pyrenees. So after a while, and I, I know this sounds sort of weird, but after a while, every mountain looks the same. Hmm. So, so... I'm not after like spectacular landscape anymore. I've had so much spectacular landscape. Like uh, I'm more like unique ecosystems, mm -hmm. unique cultures or countries that nobody wants to go to. <laughs> so, uh, so actually I'm currently writing my fourth book and it's about like uh, 25 trails all around the world. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like the PCT or like uh, these well-known trades in Europe because they don't know they don't need any promotion. Mm -hmm. People know them. So I like to promote or I like trades that nobody knows, nobody wants to go to. For example, in, in, in Europe, my favorite stomping grounds are Eastern Europe, countries like Romania, Bulgaria, Poland. Like as a German, like everything, what do you want there? Romania, what's there? What's Poland? It's boring, it's flat. Or Hungary. Nobody has heard that there's even hiking trails there. This is the countries I really, really enjoy because you're a real explorer. You're totally unique. Like last year I hiked through Romania and everybody likes, even like the old grandmas in the villages, like, where are you from? And I'm, like, I'm from Germany. Wow. And they give you a little present. They give you an apple from their garden or they invite you over or you have to drink schnapps. You have to drink a lot of schnapps in Germany, in, in Eastern Europe, actually. So everybody like, wow, you're from Germany. You came all the way to hike here. Wow, that's great. So I really like these encounters and this makes, this makes hiking in Eastern Europe so interesting. When you're hiking in Eastern Europe, um, again, I can only compare it to some experiences I've had in the U.S., but... When you're hiking in Eastern Europe with these places that aren't known for hiking as much, do you run into situations where you have to explain yourself to people that are a little skeptical? Like, do you run into a lot of situations since you're engaging so much community and you're not so much in the wilderness in Eastern Europe or these European trails that you have to engage, I guess, in a different type of way with these communities, like be more on an educational platform? Yeah. So first of all, when I hiked in Romania, of course, I don't speak Romanian. I speak many languages. I speak English, French, uh, 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 German, Latin, even a little bit Japanese. Wow. But I don't speak I don't speak any Eastern European language. But the interesting thing is, and now it's, it's a question for you. What do you think is the first word I learned in Romanian? What do you think? I'm thinking it's either food or water. No, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> the first word I learned in Romanian was singura, which means single. 
<laughs> because uh, because the, the question really everybody asked me in Romania, it's the same situation in Poland and Hungary, is like, are you hiking alone? Because nobody in these countries can imagine that a single female from another country hikes alone through Romania, Poland, or wherever. It's like, so, so it was like, singura. And, um, and uh, what, what makes things even more complicated, I mean, you can't see me now. I'm 1 meter 84 tall, that's six foot tall. Mm-hmm. And as I said, not the most athletic type. So I'm like, wow, don't mess with me. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a very robust woman. So it's like, uh, uh, for example, when I was in Chile, I'm, I'm much taller than the average Chilean male. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what is she doing here? Do we have to be afraid? Is she some sort of weirdo or what? <laughs> so so, so that, that's pretty interesting because I'm not only a foreigner, I'm a single female. I don't fit their, the picture they have of a female. So everybody's like, oh, wow, what's that? But that's interesting because uh, people don't consider me as a threat. I'm still a female, but they don't really want to mess with me because I'm so tall and mm-hmm. I'm alone. So she must be very courageous. So, um, yeah, I find myself into lots of interesting encounters that everybody wants to feed me and give me schnapps. <laughs> that's not, again, like we were chatting earlier, not a bad problem to have. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, I'm, I'm really surprised because right now you realize that the euro is all par with the dollar. Yes. So if, if you ever, ever wanted to come to Europe, wow, this is the time. You're mm-hmm. going to have the, the, the time of your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, in Europe, in Eastern Europe, you pay for a single room. And like we're talking really, really nice, very, very decent rooms for $30. You get a single room. Wow. For less than for less than ton, ten dollars, you get a three course dinner, including schnapps. It's like it's 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 really so cheap right now because of the exchange rate. So if you ever wanted to come to your wow, this is this is your chance. Do it now. <laughs> I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on this because you've now mentioned it three or four times, and this it might be just a weird tangent question. How do you hike after consuming so much schnapps? <laughs> Actually, I, I don't consume it. It's like I've. Um, if they, if if you, if they, if I'm offered the schnapps at ten o'clock in the morning, which they do, oh you get schnapps for breakfast, I decline. Yes. I, I don't drink that. Uh, I only drink like a little bit of schnapps, like as a digestive, uh, at, for dinner. For dinner. Okay. And keep and keep in mind, I'm usually camping, so I'm usually in my tent. So. Uh, so I'm I'm not so in danger. It's like uh, I get I get these schnapps offers only when I have my rest day in town or in the village. So it's not that bad as it sounds. Yeah, I didn't think it was. I thought it was just a fun. I did not think you were drinking schnapps and hiking. I just thought it was very curious how many times you touched on it. But I guess it's just part of the culture over there. So it's like polite to drink a glass of schnapps or whatever. I don't know the quantity of schnapps, but at least consume part of the schnapps when you're staying with folks and having dinner with them? I mean, I mean, you have to picture like people I encounter is like I'm in the countryside. Oh. So in Eastern Europe, you encounter like shepherds. Mm-hmm. Um, you encounter people living there. They are not the most educated people. So it's basically they offer you schnapps and they expect you to offer them cigarettes. I don't smoke, so I don't have any <laughs> cigarettes. So uh, so it's like, uh, uh, so this is like what, what, what their life is like because they are in the middle of nowhere the entire summer long and you're their entertainment. And of course, like uh, if they want to change trade stories or talk with you this is where the schnapps comes in so okay i mean the stories are just endless and i, I want to touch on your books because i guess i got a two-part question here is one with the amount of travel you've done the stuff you've seen what you've experienced 
what do you choose to write about and how was your writing journey into creating these books? Like what is each book focus on and yeah, how did you choose that focus? Okay, I have to admit that uh, before I became a turnaround manager, actually I studied advertising. So oh. my degree is in communications and marketing. Okay. So, so very early on, I, I got like publishing houses approached me and said, do you want to write a book? And the first couple of times I refused, I said, no, I want to go on hiking. And then uh, you remember the time when Cheryl Strait's uh, Wild was published and there was a, the, the Hollywood movie with Reese Witherspoon? Yes, I do. So uh, this was this movie also came to, to Europe, and uh, this is when the publishing house became very urgent. They said, uh, "Do you want to write a book about hiking the Triple Crown?" Because I was basically there was only like another German who had hiked the Triple Crown, and I had like I had this USP, the unique selling proposition. I was just the only one, or mm-hmm. almost the only one. And I realized, okay, this is the time because now is like the time for Wild, and also like uh, a Walk in the Woods with Bill Bryson by Bill Bryson was also like. Uh, there's a movie which was also in German cinemas. So I realized, okay, if I want to write a book, now is the time because now this is like in the, uh, everybody will talk about these trails. Mm-hmm. So this is when my first book was published in 2016 and it was very apparent I had to write about the Triple Crown. Okay. So this book actually really hit a nerve. I was on the German bestselling list for nine months with this book. The book actually, the, the title is Laufen, Essen, Schlafen in German, which is translated Hike, Eat, Sleep. Hmm. Hike, Eat, Sleep. And um, again, to say, why has it become a bestseller? Pretty easy. My, my agent always says, like, if you were a guy, nobody would have published a book about it. It's uh, it's basically it's a story of like a career woman giving up everything, giving up the company car and a secretary for a life living in a tent. So that's the story behind it that that people were so like, wow, this is like sort of this fairy tale story what we want to hear about. Okay. So, sorry, did I interrupt you? I'm sorry. No, no. So the second book was uh, was about like uh, it's called Wandern, Radeln, Paddeln, which means hiking, cycling, paddling which is about a year in Europe where I hiked uh, to the southernmost point of Europe. I did a cycling trip around the Baltic Sea coast and I did a paddling trip across Sweden. So this was the second book, just to say, okay, you, you don't have to go to the US to do outdoor stuff. You can do it in Europe as well. Mm-hmm. And the third book, which was published in 2020, is actually sort of like the Long Distance 101. It's like a, sort of like a how-to book about um, equipment, about trip planning, some trip recommendations, all that stuff. So this is three books. So the first two kind of sounded more along the lines of, I don't know if the correct word for this or classification is memoirs. And then the third one was like a guide. So now that you've read in two stories and one guide, is there a type of writing style that you now lean towards? Like you said, you were working on a fourth book. I don't know. With publishing if you're allowed to divulge what it is but are you do you lean towards a style of writing that you enjoy the most actually there's not so much difference between them because even the how-to book is full of anecdotes hmm. so uh so in order i could i could just uh, uh i could just plainly write okay you have to hike in trail riding shoes and not in hiking boots so okay so people would say okay but they won't remember it so it's much easier if i uh if i if 
this anecdote where I met someone, I met a lady on the way to the North Cape and she was in tears. She had to turn around because she had the wrong shoes. And, uh, and I, I explained, like I met her and we talk about it. So it's much, much more memorable if you wrap an anecdote around it. Mm-hmm. So every, every memorable, every piece, every like uh, rule in the book or every like advice in the book is wrapped around an anecdote. Hmm. So the, the hike, the writing style is not much different. Actually, it takes a lot longer to write these how-to books because uh, I know how it works. I know how working works, but I have to find like out what is the physical, the, 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 the physics context or the chemical context behind it. Like, uh, for example, I know how to treat water, mm-hmm. but I had to, to, to read all these chemic books, chemistry books, like how does uh, Aquamira work or how does uh, Micropore work or how does filter, how do filters work? I knew how it worked, but I don't need the scientific explanation behind it. So, which makes uh, how-to books a lot more difficult to write than pure trip reports. Okay, and I've, I've talked to a few writers and with I've heard two sides of this thing. So with the amount of time that you spend traveling, is part of your writing process while you're out there or do you focus all your writing energy and creativity when you have these off-season months? What's the process like? Actually, again, this is, this is very funny because I, um, like five years ago or six years ago, I started posting on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, just to connect with my readers. And by pure coincidence, I started posting in the morning. So which became a habit. So for six years straight now, I've been posting on Facebook every single morning at six o'clock. Wow. Every single morning for five years. So a lot of my uh, followers say, hey, you're my private Netflix. <laughs> or or uh, to say it like in a less charming way, one guy once said, oh, whenever I take my morning constitutional, I just check Facebook or Instagram. What is Christine doing? Sure. So, so uh, it's become sort of an addiction. And because I have to write this Facebook post every morning, what well, means I, I, I want to do it, but uh, it's also like uh, right now it's become sort of an obligation. Uh, so basically, this is my, my diary. Mm-hmm. Because every day I have this post, I'm posting on Facebook, I post in German, on Instagram, I post in English. So uh, I have sort of a diary and I know the interesting stuff because it's all written there. So once I come back home and I have decided what's the next book about, I just go back to my posts and say, hey, uh, I want to use this anecdote or that anecdote. So half of the work is already done in my social media posts. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've heard that before with writers too. And this might be just my own biased curiosity speaking here, but for when the time that you're off trail, like there's always something to write about those six to eight months you're traveling. There's so much details in a given day, but where do you find, I guess the word for it is motivation to write in the off days. Like what do you choose to write about when you're not adventuring, not hiking, not paddling? What do you do? Yeah. In the off time. Um, well, uh, I don't write a book every year. I write a book every other year. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and actually the writing is like, I'm just trying to, to re- to find out what are my readers interested in. Okay. And the funny, and the funniest thing is, uh, this is, this is really, this is really interesting now. Um, for example, in Germany, I've been really in basically almost every magazine that there is like from tabloids to uh, uh, feminist magazines, really everywhere, except except outdoor magazines. Hmm. 
And uh, the story, I think the, I've, I've been thinking a long time about it. The first read, the first explanation is I'm not sponsored. I reject any sponsoring for myself. I don't take money from anyone. And basically, outdoor magazines just feature people who bring a sponsor with them. Hmm. But the other, but the other uh, reason is that I'm, I've become sort of a role model for women my age. It's, and they are just, they are, they are, of course, they are interested in the outdoors or they're interested in hiking, but they are more interested in seeing, hey, there's a woman, she's our age, and she's as athletic or unathletic as themselves. And wow, she just goes out and does it. And this is what they like. So I've been in every women's magazine, uh, but hardly in any outdoor magazine. So that's the reason. It's it's not so much the outdoor aspect. It's the aspect of like, hey, there's a woman and she just, just does whatever she wants to do. So because going back to the conversation we had earlier about seeking being a professional traveler, professional thru-hiker, why do you reject sponsorships? Because a lot of the people that I know, a lot of the people I see in the outdoor world that are trying to get their toehold in or trying to become that quote-unquote professional through hiker seek sponsorships. So why do you reject sponsorships? See, I told you, I'm driven by two things, by curiosity and freedom. Okay. And having a sponsor, I would lose freedom. Hmm. Um, first of all, my life base really depends on my equipment. I mean, it's not always that dramatic, but still uh, my, my, my equipment can make or break a, t- a trip. So I really want the very best and I want the stuff I choose. And I don't want to have a sponsor that says, hey, you have to use this sleeping bag or this whatever. So, so this is the first freedom. The second freedom is uh, sponsors always want spectacular photos because they want to promote the story. They want to promote their products through your story. And I, I tend to go to countries nobody else wants to go. So telling a sponsor, hey, I'm, I'm hiking through the Hungarian flatlands is something no sponsor would buy because the photos is just like flat, flat, flat in Hungary. <laughs> so, uh, so they want Chile, they want Patagonia, they want the Rocky Mountains, but definitely not the flatlands of Hungary. But I'm just like, hey, I want to hike there and I don't give jack shit like if they, uh, what the sponsor wants. So this is why I totally reject sponsoring. I don't want to sell my soul. I just want to be totally independent. Wow. So... So actually, my fourth book is about, uh, it's called Around the World in 25 Trails. It's, uh, it covers 25 trails, uh, basically in Europe, but some in the US as well. And basically, I think some trail managers will be totally surprised to find their trail in my book because they didn't <laughs> even know I'm hiking the trail. Well, I love the mentality. So very much kudos, Christine. Um, the freedom part, again, that touches somewhere with me personally, too, is like, being able to f- have freedom of choice, um, that's what it's about. So massive kudos on holding that mentality. And as you increase in popularity too, like just being able to hold that standard and hold that choice. So Christine, we could be talking. <laughs> I, I, there's so much stuff I want to talk to you about, but I promised you about an hour. So I have two last questions that I usually <clears throat> excuse me, like to wrap up the show with. And the second to last question I have for you is what does the quote unquote trail mean to you? Um, you can take that as a singular trail, a broad definition of a trail, but yeah, what does the trail mean to you? It's my home. I, I live on the trail. And one interesting aspect is that when I did my first three, three or four through hikes, 
like wow, arriving at the, ter- at the northern terminus of the PCT or at uh, Springer Mountain or at, you know at, at Mount Katahdin, or like wow, this is what you're, this is the moment you're looking for. And now, if I arrive at the terminus, if I arrive at the North Cape, or if I arrive at Tarifa, southernmost point of Europe, uh, for example, as I arrived, in, when I arrived at Tarifa, I thought, oh, hmm, should I just straight go to the terminus and take the picture, or should I just go to the hotel first? And I said, okay, let's just go to the hotel first. I can do the pictures tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't really interested in going to the to, to the terminus and arriving there because, wow, I'm doing it all the time. So being on the train, this is my, what I do all the time, it's my lifestyle now. So it's not important anymore to arrive at the end because it's just like one step in a long journey because half a year later I do another trip and another trip. For me, it's like being on the trail and not so much reaching a goal on the trail. Hmm. So a parallel, you kind of walked directly into this (laughs) parallel question and it's the kind of other end of this question is, since this is your lifestyle, since this is what you do and continue to find your passion and love in, is there an endpoint? Is there a goal to reach? Because some people have that goal of triple crown. You have become the most hyped woman in the world. Like there's all these goals that you've hit without them maybe being goals in the first place. But yeah, I guess the question is, do you see an endpoint or is there an overarching goal that you're trying to reach? No. See, um, everything in life happened to me basically by coincidence, by accident. And I think the difference between me and most people is that I, uh, if something goes wrong, I don't despair. I just look for the next chance. So how to explain this? Uh, before I started hiking, I was a turnaround manager. I worked as a turnaround manager. And I had no clue about hiking. And just by this ch- random encounter with through hikers, I started hiking and uh, hiking, ending up like hiking 60,000 kilometers. And then like, I didn't want to write a book, but an agent discovered me and said, hey, do you want to write a book and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden I end up having written three bestsellers. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the publishing house said, hey, do you want to do presentations? Do you want to do shows or, or speeches? So I became a speaker. So I don't know what's next. I don't know what will be the next chance I encounter so uh, and I don't worry about it because there's always chances lying just next to my, 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 the, my, the, uh, the trail of my life. So I, I don't have any plans of stopping, of stopping hiking. I mean, the oldest thru-hiker I know is Dale Sanders, who uh, thru-hiked the Appalachian Trail at the age of 82. I mean, I'm 55, so I have basically almost 30 more years for hiking. And uh, he continues paddling now. He just paddled the Mississippi River a second time. So if I can't go hiking anymore, I can go paddling. So I don't see any end point. Hmm. The adventure will continue. Exactly. (laughs) I love it, Christine. So again, this has been an awesome chat. I'm sorry we weren't able to touch on maybe even a percent of what you've done, but (laughs) it's very limited in an hour format. So... I want to thank you for being on the show and I want to turn over the platform to you so you can let the listeners know where they can find you, interact with you. So yes, the platform is yours. Okay, so uh, the best way for um, non-German speakers to interact with me is on Instagram. On Instagram, I'm Christine, C-H, underscore, Terma, that's spelled T-H-U-E-R-M-E-R. So Christine underscore Terma is my handle on Instagram where I'm posting daily uh, as long as I'm hiking. Uh, 
I'm also on Facebook, uh, same handle, but I'm posting in German there. I have some American followers who just use Google Translate to translate it. And my website is christianturma.de and christianturma.com, but this is in German again. And last but not least, which will be most interesting for you, I have a, um, a blog which is called Christine on Big Trip, which is entirely in English which goes back to my first hikes in 2007. The thing is massive. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you ever want to find out about hiking in Europe, because all my European through hikes are on there, you will find almost 60,000 kilometers of hiking on this blog in English. So Christine on Big Trip is uh, blogspot.com is where you should go to. Awesome. I will link all of those in the show notes below. And Christine, you are a joy to talk to and you are a very, very impressive woman. So thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you for having me. Bye for now. Well, that'll do it for this week. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to pop on over to Apple Podcasts or whatever player you use and leave a rating and a review. It helps other people find the show. This podcast is brought to you by Eleven Skies gear that will change with you not for you so give us a check out at 11skies.com and that's the show see you next week